At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Hey, welcome back to the podcast, guys. So we have a cool conversation surrounding hydronic furnaces slash hydronic air handlers. Now, this is a foreign concept to many people. What is a hydronic furnace? Well, basically, it's a cabinet with an air handler and a hydronic coil built inside that is fed from a boiler, wall hung, combi, whatever, right? And it feeds hot water into it. The air blows across it and we provide heat to a home. These are becoming a little bit more popular uh, because they're being incorporated into dual fuel systems with heat pumps and stuff like that. So we have iFlow. iFlow is a manufacturer out of Toronto that distributes to um, all across North America. And we're going to talk to Steve Bagshaw and he's going to give us some history and some, some information and some technical info as well on, on these hydronic furnaces. Now, he's going to also tell us about something that's pretty cool. He spent some time in Japan and how the wall, wall hung boiler started uh, back in Japan many years ago and it's now just becoming a, a, a larger thing here in North America these days. So guys, pay attention. This is a good one. This is the HVAC Not All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by the Master Group, and recently I've become a York dealer through Master Group because they sell York equipment. This is for the residential side. And something that I noticed on the first York install I did, the condensing unit had an accumulator inside, which I thought was tremendous suction line accumulator that protects the compressor from any sort of liquid damage. And when you think about the mini split, the mini split compressors, most of them that I've seen have accumulators in them. And I don't remember ever having to replace a mini split compressor when I think back through my career, maybe one or two, but I really can't have any, I don't don't really really have any recollection of, of doing so. So accumulator is very important and I was happy to see it in that York condensing unit. So check out master.ca. This podcast is sponsored by Cintas. They are movers and shakers in the uniform industry for the blue collar industry, right? And they're, they're, <laughs> they even have blue shirts to, to keep with that blue collar theme. I even chose blue collar or navy blue shirts when I uh, started my business, McCready HVAC, because I wanted to keep that blue collar theme going 100%. And Cintas has the Comfort Flex program that I've talked to you guys about, stretchy, it's comfortable, it breathes. And there's a landing page if you guys are into checking them out for your team, it's Cintas dot com forward slash hvac know it all it's c i n t a s dot com forward slash hvac know it all check them out guys welcome to the hvac know it all podcast recorded from a basement somewhere in toronto canada your host and hvac tech gary mccready will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things hvac from storytelling to technical discussion enjoy the show Yeah, the countdown disappeared quick. It does that sometimes. Anyway, Steve, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you doing, Gary? Good. You have a very nice uh, background, some trees, some... 
you, you out in kind of the country area? I happen to be at uh, Hamilton College in Clinton, New York, my, uh, my wow. daughter's uh, university. Very cool. So just borrowing, awesome. yeah. uh, borrowing the hall in the uh, Taylor Science Building. Cool. Yeah, it looks, it looks uh, very peaceful back there. It is. It is. Uh, upstate New York. So, <laughs> so we've been talking on the podcast about systems that can be hybrid, heat pumps with um, maybe some, some gas-fired equipment or electric heat. And these discussions keep coming up more and more. Mm-hmm. And your product that we're going to talk about this evening or whenever you're listening to it, driving around, it might be the morning. But we're going to talk about iFlow and what iFlow is and how it can be incorporated, uh, I guess, as a standalone system or incorporated into some sort of hybrid system where you're trying to run a heat pump and use hydronic heating for maybe backup or, 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 or auxiliary or something along those lines, right? Sure. Yeah, okay, absolutely. So I, yeah. Sorry, go on. Go, go on. Yeah, so iFlow is uh, iFlow is a hydronic air handler or hydronic furnace. Uh, the reason we call it a hydronic furnace is because most of the homeowners uh, don't really know what an air handler is. They know what a furnace is. It's that box in their basement or in the mechanic room that delivers warm air, but they're not really sure what an air handler is. So to avoid that confusion, we're trying to call it a hydronic furnace. So it's a furnace, but based on hydronics rather than gas. Uh, but to your comment specifically. Um, so iFlow is an air handler and we can run uh, using your tankless water, your condensing tankless water heater or your combi boiler or your boiler. As the heat source, we bring that hot water into the air handler and we deliver hot hot air into the house. So we can do it as a single system or as you said, we can integrate it in with heat pumps as well where we can uh, look at different inputs. We can look at the outdoor temperature and decide when to switch between using the heat pump and the and the backup gas uh, or the return air temperature or whatever sensors. We've got eight different sensors that we use on the iFlow to detect. I'm going to stop. I'm going to, I'll stop you right there for one second because I want you to give yourself a little bit of an intro. We'll get into all the specifics and sure, stuff like that, but yeah. I'd love for you to tell the audience who you are and um, you obviously you represent iFlow because that's our discussion, but maybe what you've been up to in the industry for all these years. Sure. Yeah. My, uh, my name is Steve Bagshaw and I'm on the sales side of, uh, of iFlow HVAC. So iFlow is a, uh, a company based out of Toronto. Um, and we distribute our, uh, hydronic furnaces across, uh, across North America. Um, my background, I was, uh, in, uh, after university, I was in Japan for a number of years. Uh, in the construction building materials industry uh, in Japan, uh, then came back to North America in 2002 and started in the tankless water heater industry only because while I was in Japan, uh, that's, all the, that's all that we had at the, uh, <clears throat> at the apartments and the homes that, uh, that I lived at were tankless water heaters. So I thought, you know what, this is great technology. It's a great opportunity, I think, for North America. At that time, there were very few. Nobody really knew what a tankless water heater was. So that was 2002. Uh, I started uh, with Takagi in Canada um, as the managing director and then moved on to Navian, uh, where I was the general manager for North America. Uh, and then from there went to IntelliHot, uh, which is the only, let's say, commercial tankless water heater made in North America. Then over to NTI as VP sales for North America. Uh, NTI is a boiler, uh, boiler and combi boiler manufacturer. And then... Yep. 
uh, as part of so my background has been in water water heating uh, predominantly, but using that so right from the early days of Takagi, we were integrating the tankless water heater as a heat source to do a number of other uh, space heating applications in addition to the domestic hot water. So I've been in this industry, um, the hot water heating um, industry, since 2002, back in uh, when I came back to North America. So it's been it's been interesting. Um, yeah, I, I would say, and it kind of interesting. You said Japan, mm-hmm. and it was interesting that you said that you kind of seen that the tankless heaters there, and they weren't really in North America just yet. They were kind of newer. No one had really heard about them, and it, it kind of reminds me of ductless split systems that kind of started in that area of the Absolutely. the globe and kind of transitioned over here. So, is it tankless over in Japan, or did they start with tankless over in Japan? because of space considerations is that why it was kind of developed and and started a bit of a trend over that way you know it was funny um i don't know where the original history of tankless was but i've i've heard Mm -hmm. from the japanese themselves that it was from after the war so as part of during the war or after the war uh, a lot of the British brought in their own tankless, kind of tankless designed water heaters. Uh, and then the industry kind of grew from there into uh, something where all the, the, the major tankless companies are all based out of Japan. So Paloma uh, owns Rheem, if you, if, if you know that. So the Rheem, the entire Rheem organization is owned by Paloma of Japan, which is a tankless water heater manufacturer. Oh, wow. So it's, it's, that. That, it's that big that uh, Paloma actually owns all of Ream and all of the Ream subsidiaries. So they used it because Japan is, is very limited on resources and very limited on space. So it kind of met both metrics, right? Better efficiency than, let's say, the tank type that was used predominantly in North America. Um, and the space savings, which was critical in Japan because of the smaller footprint. So it kind of met both of those objectives. And the technology, again, came from came from Europe. They developed it, kind of improved it, and uh, and then went back. And, and now it's interesting that we're importing those back into North America. With regards mm-hmm. to the heat pump, my uh, all of my apartments that I lived in Japan, and that was back from 90... The first time I went to Japan was in 1991. Uh, we were using heat pumps. So we did have gas backup, little uh, little stoves that you'd use in room to room, but you also mm-hmm. had the heat pump. Uh, so my apartment in Tokyo, for example, I heated it, heated it in the winter and cooled it in the summer, all with a heat pump. And that was mm-hmm. a uh, two-head two head heat pump. So I had one condenser unit outside and two heads, one for the loft and one for my main, main floor that did the uh, living room and the kitchen. So yeah, it's been a while since I've been using those. So it's interesting to see that all of that technology that I was actually using while I was in Japan in the late 90s, early 2000s, has now migrated into North America in a, in a significant way. Oh, big time, significant yeah. way. The amount of the amount of ductless split brands that you see now in North America, it, it's incredible. Like. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I used to do quite a bit of them, and I'm actually doing a project right now. I'm doing a city multi, uh, Mitsubishi city multi, mm-hmm. ten head system mm-hmm. for a customer, and I used to do them uh, back in like early, uh, maybe 2006, 2007, and and it, they were fairly new to me back then, and it was very cool to install them. But it's just since 
since those Mitsubishi days and my early days, the amount of duckless brands that have just popped out of nowhere, it's, it's mind blowing. It's crazy. Right. I think the technology, you know, of course, the mini splits fit in a number of applications, especially where you had a hydronics based system. So you didn't have ducting, but you did want cooling. Uh, the mini, the mini splits just fit that market perfectly. When we're talking about central systems, however, where you've already got the ducting, um, putting one head room by room might be a little bit uh, uh, cumbersome, whereas a central system might be a great application. So actually, we're now using uh, the traditional top discharge, but also the side discharge or horizontal discharge now and interfacing with central systems. Uh, and you can use the iFlow as uh, as the air mover, let's say, with that system. So we can combine the iFlow with the gas backup on the hydronic side, but then also combine mm-hmm. with the heat pump uh, on, a, on a central system uh, with, uh, with ease actually now. Okay, so I think we need to go to tankless uh, water heaters and, and how efficient they are, mm-hmm. because that leads into why you would, you would use a tankless and a hydronic coil, right? Absolutely. So why what, what makes the tankless so efficient um, to give us the opportunity to use a hydronic coil um, rather than a traditional type furnace. So the key, the key, so first on a tankless water heater, um, you've got a number of different flow rates, right? You could have a small lav that's only drawing 0.6 or 0.7 gallons a minute, and the tankless will have to deliver hot water to that faucet. You could have then a shower that comes on that's drawing 1.75 to 2 gallons a minute of hot water through that shower head. Mm-hmm. Or then you could have a, yeah. a, you know, a, a bathtub that's drawing 4 or 5 gallons a minute. So whatever the scenario, whether it's the small lab, the shower, or the bathtub, the tankless has to come on and the burner needs to be able to adjust to the amount of water that's needed at the time. But it can't overheat, right? We can't scald any of the, any of the customers. And we can't underperform mm-hmm. either. We can't not deliver the heat. So the tankless water heaters have what we call a, a modulating burner. So it's able to adjust up and down to the actual demand going through the system. And that precision mm-hmm. is uh, is fairly advanced. Uh, we're getting to units that have turndown ratios of, let's say, 15 to 1. Um, 20 to 1 is being researched now, even 30 to 1, where what that means is, you can take your input, let's say 100,000 BTUs. If you are 10 to 1, then you can turn down in about 10 steps down to 10,000 BTUs. Or if you have a, a mm-hmm. 20, 000, or 200,000 BTU tankless, which many are, because if you go over 200,000, now you're into ASME. So most stay about 199. But a, a 15 to 1 turn down on that brings your minimum input down to 13,000 BTUs. Those that ability to adjust up or down is really what makes the tankless uh, a great option on the burner side, right? So it's ability to meet the demand instantaneously or, or as the flow um, increases or decreases based on the uh, on the faucets that are being used in the in the house. The efficiency comes with the on the condensing units with the two heat exchangers. Uh, So we have a primary heat exchanger and then we have a condensing heat exchanger. And the efficiency of the or the design of the secondary heat exchanger really makes the difference between 
a 93 and a 96 or 97 percent unit. Um, the non the non condensing units uh, are often 84 to 87 percent range, and then the condensing steps up from there. The ability to combine both of them, the condensing and the modulation in one unit, uh, and then apply that to the heating side is really where we, we gain the advantage of a combi system over a traditional furnace. Uh, so for example, um, you know, the, the number one selling skew on the furnace side in North America, well, number one and number two is an 80,000 and a 60,000 BTU furnace, uh, typically single stage. So if you have a 60,000 BTU single stage furnace, it basically comes on and off. It does not modulate up or down because it's only designed to come on at 60,000 BTUs, for example. Uh, if you have a, a late November night where you only need 15,000 BTUs, then it means that furnace has to come on. It'll run for 15 minutes of every hour, uh, but it'll be on for five, off for 15, on for five. Off. So there'll be some cycling. Whereas mm -hmm. a modulating condensing unit that's able to drop down to that 15,000 BTU range, for example, it can run for the entire hour without cycling at all. So we're getting more consistent, longer run times for better efficiency uh, and being able to deliver that comfort. So you can imagine for the homeowner on the air side, if the furnace was coming on for five minutes, then going off for 15, on for five, off for 15, and doing that cycle three or four times an hour, um, the temperature would be kind of increases up, then it goes down for 15, up above set point, down below. So it it kind of goes up and down a little bit. Whereas if you're able to modulate um, to the actual BTUs needed, then it will run consistency for the for the whole hour. Now it's not going to mm -hmm. burn any more fuel than you need. It's not going to be delivering more BTUs. If you need 15,000, it delivers 15,000. If you need 25, it delivers 25. If you need 60, it will ramp up and deliver 60, just as the tankless would be able to deliver at a low, uh, you know, a la small lavatory faucet, and then up to a shower, and then up to a full bathtub running. That same capability is what we're applying now on the air side. Um, is that is that? Uh, yeah, no, that 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 that's a good explanation. And I was going to add to that that the the, the cycling or the short cycling, yeah. if it comes to even short cycling can cause a comfort issue as you were saying because let's say there's rooms that don't get because we all know in north america duct systems they're messed up they're not designed right there's there's lack of airflow but let's say there's a room uh that gets warmer quicker than the other when it's short cycling well that room's going to get hot the other room might get cold because the cycle's too short but if you're running constantly to the demand the longer runtime is going to mix the air around the home a lot better, making everybody a little bit more comfortable. Absolutely. The, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, that's kind of the thought I had when when you were talking about that. I've I've had this conversation with many people on the podcast about and why it's so important to size to size equipment properly, mm -hmm. uh, properly. But I mean, with modulating equipment, you do have some some room to play. And you can get away with maybe oversizing because it can modulate down to what you need type thing, right? Quick break, guys. So I just recorded a podcast with Tommy Q from JV Warranties to talk about the warranty part of the industry and how they work and how some 
some manufacturers may experiment with some things and what has went wrong with warranties and why and and, and just some solutions around all of that. So it was, it was a pretty good conversation. It'll be out in a couple of weeks. So if you guys are into extending warranty programs for your customers, check out JB Warranties because that's what their business is. So Company Cam, guys, Company Cam allows you to get organized without loading up stuff on your phone and allowing everybody with on a jo- within a job, or I was going to say with on a job, within a job to see what's going on across the board. So if there's 10 people on the job, if everybody takes pictures and keeps updated photos, videos, uh, voice memos, anything like that, anybody on that job is able to see it. That's what company cam does to help you get organized. So let's talk about mini splits for a minute. There's some things that mini split VRF, VRV, there's some things that go well together. And I know some manufacturers will void warranty if you use Nylog, but geez, I, I don't really understand why. Uh, because John Pastorello basically proved that Nylog mixes with oil homogeneously in a vial on, on, on video. So anyway, yellow jacket torque wrench for one, to torque your nuts to spec, according to the manual. So Nylog on the seat of the flare and sometimes even behind the nut just to, to give it some lubrication so you don't bind the pipe as you're tightening it. All right, the other thing is the Navac battery powered flaring tool. This thing is badass. And if you're doing a ton of flares, trust me, it's worth it. And then you just, you, you take it out, you put it in the flare gauge, you make sure it is built to spec before you tighten that nut on. You have all those three things, guys, trust me, you're never going to have a leak unless there's something drastically wrong with the copper or the other connection you're, you're attaching it to. Anyway, guys, let's move on and get back to the podcast. And that, and that's the key, right? Because if we look at the, if we look at the heating loads as we go into winter, so obviously in August we don't need any heating, but come mid-September we might, you know, there might be a few cold evenings, and then definitely into October, November. So we basically start in August with no BT, no heating BTUs being needed at all, and then in November and September we need a, a little bit, and then October we might need, I don't, know, let's say just pick a number. 10,000 BTUs. And then November, we might need 15 or 20. And then in October or in December, then we might need 20, 25, et cetera. And then we get into January and February, where are really cold months. And there we need kind of maximum. But then once we get into March, April, we start to come out and need less and less. So if the equipment is able to, to fully modulate, being able to meet the full demand in January and February, but also to be able to modulate without cycling during the shoulder seasons, that being the fall and in the spring, then we have the best of both where we, we don't, to your point, we don't have to oversize the equipment. We know it's going to be able to meet the maximum, but we also know it's going to be able to operate efficiently and comfortably at the, in the shoulder seasons as well. And that's where I think the present furnaces um, are just not able, because of the design of the equipment, um, you know, our our home technology is getting much better. If you look at the window and door technology, if you look at mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the foam insulation that we're, we're sealing up these houses, we're wrapping them all tight. You know, our, the, the amount of heat loss through a home now is so much lower than it was previously that, um, you know, in the last 10 years, we've gone from, you know, 
50, 60, 70,000 BTU loads. You know, in previous loads were 100, 120,000 BTU furnaces going in. And now we're down mm-hmm. to heat loads of, you know, 30,000, 20,000. Uh, if you have a, you know, a three-story townhouse anywhere in Canada, uh, you're likely not seeing more than a, a total total load in January or February of, you know, 25,000 BTUs. Um, so the heat loads are going way, way down. And the equipment, as a result, needs to also be able to uh, modulate down to those lower levels because the housing technology has gotten better. And I think the water side uh, has been able to meet that demand a little bit better than the air side. You know, the furnaces, Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you have guests that will talk about their furnaces, but um, it's really the minimum input. If the furnaces could go down as low as the tankless units could, let's say down to, you know, 10,000 BTUs or some of the combi boilers can go down to, you know, uh, 7,000 or 8,000 BTUs. When the furnaces can be able to modulate down that low, then that'll be a great option as well. You can buy, you know, modulating condensing furnace that that goes from, you know, 80,000 down to 8,000, for example. And that would be a great a great appliance to to put in a new home as well. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I think the minimum inputs on the furnace side are still a little bit high compared to where the housing technology has developed, uh, unfortunately. And that's where I think uh, the water the water side uh, um, is able to, again, because it's able to modulate lower, uh, we're able to leverage off that tankless modulating technology to um, create, make a, make a per, better performing uh, HVAC system now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the 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 iFlow itself. Sure. I have a question. So you called it a hydronic furnace rather than an air handler, but obviously, if we, if we're gonna combine it, we can just have a coil that just sits on top of a a heat pump air handler, or no? Or is it always a complete cabinet with fan and coil? So the iFlow has a heating coil inside. So we have okay. a blower and a hydronic heating coil. Uh, our coil is not designed to do chilled water. Um, mm-hmm. It does not have a drain pan in it. Um, mm-hmm. If you wanted to add chilled water to it, um, like we do in many commercial app or let's say multi-res applications where you've got a chiller loop and a boiler loop in the mechanical room, uh, we would have the heating loop come into the hydronic coil in the iFlow. And then we would get a third-party uh, chiller coil and put it on top just like you would put an evaporator coil on top of a regular furnace, we would put the chill, chilled water coil, uh, a coil on top of the iFlow, and that would handle the chilled water side. Um, we would bring on the fan the same way. Uh, we would just need another contact for the pump um, to bring the, the chilled water into the unit. Okay. So the, the reason I asked that, that question about is it a full cabinet or can you just get the coils because some heat pump manufacturers for residential they have an air handler that's already equipped with a a coil inside of it that Mm -hmm. just sits on the ground like a furnace would. Um, So if we had one of those, can you get just a hydronic coil to mount on the top from iFlow? Uh, No, no, we we don't sell the coils separately. We we sell it as an integrated system. So, okay. So you're right. I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, no, absolutely. There are a number of heat pump manufacturers that have their own uh, air handlers. So they will have their outdoor unit, right? Their condenser unit, and then they'll have mm-hmm. their evaporator inside, uh, and that evaporator will be tied in with a blower. Um, those systems uh, would typically have electric strip uh, backup, 
-hmm. whereas if we went with the iFlow, we would have the hydronic backup uh, mm -hmm. using okay. the, the tankless water heater. So that would be the difference between, uh, let's say, uh, a HIPAA manufacturer's air handler uh, and the iFlow air handler is that we're using hydronics as the backup, whereas the, uh, the, the HIPAA manufacturers are using uh, the refrigerant as the, the heating and cooling uh, source, but then having the uh, electro electric strip as the, as the backup if the heat pump doesn't keep up. Okay, cool. So let's talk about controls. And if we're using a type of system, if we're using an iFlow furnace with a, a wall mount boiler, mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we integrate controls to, to control? Do we putting a thermostat Obviously, we need to put a thermostat somewhere mm -hmm. in the home or a sensor and a centralized controller or something. So, so walk us through maybe how you control this thing. It's, it's, it's really straightforward. So on the, okay. iFlow, on the iFlow board, we have inputs and then we have outputs. So on the input side, we have an outdoor sensor. So we are actually looking at the outdoor temperature. And this would be similar to, from the hydronic side, similar to... Uh, those who are who are using outdoor reset with boilers, uh, we're okay. using the same idea now on the air side. So we have an outdoor sensor that's looking at the outdoor temperature, and then we decide: do we bring on the heat pump, or do we bring on the hydronics? And that's a function of um, where you know where your balance point is, where you would like it to switch over, uh, and that could be based on a couple of things: it could be the capacity of the heat pump to deliver the heat, it could be the COP level like where the COP start to drop. So there are a couple parameters that could determine where you switch, switch it over. But nonetheless, we have uh, we use the outdoor sensor as the switchover point. But we have the thermostat, and you can use any, any thermostat with an iFlow. Um, you can bring the thermostat into the iFlow and then connect the outputs to the heat pump. So we would have the Y and the C and the O or the B, depending. So we would have your right, compressor call, and then your reversing valve call on the outputs. If we're mm -hmm. running with a boiler, then we have a TT output that would go and wire directly to the boiler or the combi boiler. And if it's a tankless, then we control the pump and the pump will actually trigger the flow switch or the flow sensor inside the tankless, and that will bring on the tankless. So whether we bring on the tankless with the pump, the boiler with the TT contact, or the heat pump with the the Y and C, and then the reversing valve, the O or the B, uh, we can control all the different equipment from coming on or off all through the iFlow controller based on a call for heat from the thermostat. So we don't we don't need the, we don't need a complicated thermostat. We don't need an advanced thermostat. We're just looking for the W call from the thermostat into the iFlow to say, hey, I need heat, and then we determine which heat we bring on: boiler, tankless heat pump um, and then the same with the cooling just cooling call comes in we get a call from the y on the thermostat side and then we output to the condenser unit from the output side of the iflow so we've hmm. tried to make it as quick or you know as simple and easy uh, as possible uh, we also do zoning uh, and that's all integrated onto the board as well so you don't need a zone controller uh, oh, any nice. zone panel, all the dampers will wire directly to the iFlow. So all the thermostats, so zone one, zone two, zone three thermostats, all wire directly to the iFlow. All the dampers, so zone one, zone two, zone three dampers will wire. And then we will control that as well. Uh, and then 
based on the output, again, we can control if only zone one is calling, zone two calling, zone three calling, we bring on the, again, the respective heat source that they want. Uh, and we then vary the airflow based on the zone itself. So if, if zone one needs 300 CFM, we deliver 300 CFM. If zone two is 500 CFM, then we deliver 500. And if both of them together, we deliver 800 and we divide it up that way. So you can set the airflow per zone. But what, whether it's a single zone or a zoning system, again, the connections, the wiring is all simple, straightforward, all comes into the input side of the iFlow, and then all of your mechanicals connect to the output, and we call them on accordingly. Hmm. That's very interesting. Um, so yeah, I wasn't picturing it like that at all. The way you explained it is, is very simplified, just inputs um, from the stat and then outputs to whatever mm-hmm. uh, you need it to do, heating, cooling, like you said, wall mount, uh, boiler. Um, so let me ask you this. This is, this is something I'm thinking about during all this. So inside of a small mechanical room, uh, how, how far, or let's say your, your boiler's got to be mounted somewhere that the air handler is not. Like how far of a pipe run can we have between the boiler and the iFlow coil? Well, you, depending on where you are, you know, um, and the regulations that follow that, um, you can be as far as you need. Um, we have applications where we have, for example, in Southern California, a lot of the installs are in garages. So the mechanicals will be in the garage, but the air mm-hmm. handler is going to be uh, a downflow unit on the top of the third floor. Uh, so we've got to run the piping up through that. Um, obviously, you want to insulate all the pipes, so you're minimizing, right? The longer the heat run, um, the more heat loss you're going to lose between heat source yep. and the air handler. So if we can insulate all that piping, that's going to be ideal. So we would definitely recommend that. Um, so we would recommend the lines be as short as possible. In the case you can't, um, then definitely insulate. But we, we have no limit on the, the, the length of the run. Um, that would be a function of the pump size, right? The farther it is, you would have to increase the pump size to perhaps get, get over the initial head to push it up, like say three floors or four floors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new Hydronics B- B214, the newest version, uh, limits that in Canada. So if you're following the 214, limits it to 50 feet. So the distance between the two can't be more than 50 feet one way. Okay. Yeah. And that again is just to minimize the amount of heat loss that you would have in a system that's that's any more of that, any longer than that. Okay, cool. So the next question I have then is the fan. What sort of fan are we using inside? Is it is it a permanent split capacitor? Is it ECM? Like what kind of fan we got in there? In in the iFlow, we use a full ECM. So there are two types of ECM. There's a uh, a constant torque ECM, and then there's a constant CFM. Constant torque okay. gives you um, the ability to set, let's say, five preset speeds, uh, which most manufacturers use three, so kind of low, medium, high. Uh, we actually mm-hmm. use the more advanced, uh, um, the more advanced uh, Gentech Eon, so it's a constant CFM, uh, ECM, ECM blower. Um, so again, it's yeah, it's the Gentech, so the the Regal Bloit, uh, Gentech Eon, okay. ECM motor, constant cool. CFM. Right. And we have half horsepower for our 14,000 and 16,000. And then we have uh, uh, a three-quarter horse for our 18,000 series. 
um, in terms of that, so the constant CFM, so based on our, on our outdoor sensor, um, we know what the temperature is outside. So as it's getting colder, we know we need to deliver more BTUs. When we're commissioning the iFlow, we actually input the heat load of the house. So if you're doing a townhouse, you'll input the load of maybe 25,000. If you're doing a, a single family home, maybe it's more 35, 38, 40,000 BTUs. Regardless, you enter the, the BTUs, the heat load of the house so that we know uh, what the load is. And then based on the outdoor temperature, uh, we actually set the slope of the reset line. And based on that reset line, we, we deliver more or less BTUs as we go into the, uh, into the winter season. And uh, uh, the ECM gives us the ability to ramp up and down. So based on those outdoor, the outdoor parameter and the heat load, we will calculate how many BTUs we need Every, like continuously, you know, so not only every day, but every hour of the day and every time it comes on. And then we will tell the blower, okay, we need to deliver 18,000 BTUs. So give me this amount of CFM. Uh, we need to deliver 42,000 BTUs. Give me this much more CFM. And so we ramp up and down continuously. Uh, and we're able to control the iFlow blower in 1% increments. So we can dial in exactly the CFM that you need to deliver the heating as you need it. When the static pressure increases, so let's say over time your filter gets a little bit clogged um, just before you change it, uh, the static is going to increase. The blower is automatically going to increase the power it uses to maintain the CFM that the controller has decided needs to operate at. So if I need to deliver, for example, if I need to deliver 700 CFM, and my static is normally 0.6, then we'll deliver that. If I need, if the static increases over time uh, to let's say 0.8, then the blower is going to still deliver the 700 CFM. It's just going to use a little bit more power to do that. So that's the constant CFM um, technology in the blower in that it will automatically just increase or decrease the power consumption to maintain the CFM that you are looking for and then we calculate the CFM needed based on the outdoor sensor and the heat load of the home. Hmm. So, yeah, so that's why it'd be, I guess you're going to need to get a proper heat load done in order to enter that. Cause if you guess on that number, then it's not going to work properly when you input that guess, right? Well, we, we have actually, so we designed the unit for cold climate. So we designed it for okay. winters in Canada and winters, you know, in the, let's say the upper, the Northeast of the U.S., in the Midwest of the U.S., you know, Minnesota, where it, where it gets cold. We, we all know winter. Um, and the default parameters are all based on a winter design. So even if you don't set anything up, it will still operate. It'll still find its, its way. Uh, it's, um, it's just more helpful if you have the heat loss and put it in. Obviously, on retrofits, we don't know what the heat load is. Um, but we can make some educated guesses. For example, right, if the house was built in the 50s and 60s, 70s, then we, we can use maybe 30 BTUs per square foot or 20 BTUs per square foot as kind of a general heat load. If it was built in the 90s, early 2000s, then we can maybe do more like 25, 22 BTUs per square foot. If it was built in 2010s, then we're probably down to 
you know, construction of 20 to 18 BTUs per square foot. And we can estimate it that way. And then, you know, even if it is a house that was built in the, the 60s or 70s, if they've upgraded the windows and added insulation into the, into the attic um, and done some renovations, for example, then perhaps we can adjust it up. So you're right, it's not going to be a perfect science to dial it in on a retrofit. Um, but we can make, a, make some educated guesses and then we can tweak it along the way. Um, and we can tweak it on the board itself. So if we find that the unit is short cycling a little bit, we can reduce the BTUs to lengthen the runtime. Um, we hope to integrate all that and make it, it is for the most part now, it's going to look at the return air temperatures and decide if it's running too much and then automatically kind of adjust itself uh, over time to, to match, to get the, the longer running times. But uh, mm -hmm. again, if we can commission it, uh, then it's, uh, it makes that process much quicker and we can dial in right from the mm -hmm. get-go. Awesome. This is, uh, this is very cool. I, I love hearing about all this new technology because, I mean, working on unitary equipment, uh, rooftop equipment, server room equipment, um, some ductless stuff over the last... 15, 20 years or so, it's very cool to see all this transition into finer tuning of equipment to make uh, comfort just that more better, especially at home, because everybody likes comfort at home. When you get home, no matter what you've done all day, sitting down on the couch or sitting down to eat dinner or, or just watching a movie, like just something you want to be comfortable, right? Yeah. And it's just this technology these days is, is just making it um, almost impossible not to keep your customers comfortable i mean they obviously they got they got to pay a premium on that because i mean i'm sure this is probably a question i should ask you an iflow install with a boiler on the wall compared to a conventional type furnace what do you think the price difference in something like that could be in the ballpark so if you're if you're running if your baseline is a tank type water heater with um, you know, basic entry-level furnace, uh, single stage, maybe 95% efficient. Um, if you step up to a tankless and an iFlow, uh, you're probably going to be maybe twice the price um, okay. of, of the baseline. But that payback will likely come uh, in the way. So, for example, a tank-type water heater out of the box, you're going to have a a UEF of 0.72 maybe. With a tankless, you're going to have a UEF of 0 0.96, 0.97, 0.98, uh, depending on which model you're you're looking at. Can, um, I, can I ask you what you what you mean by UEF? UEF I'm, is I'm not the sure. yeah is the uh, utilization efficiency factor. So it's the it's the rating that uh, you would see um, on a on a water heating device. So it's like, an AF, okay. it's, a, it's like an AFUE rating for water heaters uh, okay. or for the, on the water side. So a tank type water heater would have that, a tankless water heater would have that. And it basically shows you the efficiency. Um, and then on the furnace, you would have a UE, you know, an AFUE of 95. Um, and then we would come in and we'd be able to operate at about 10% better than that because we eliminate the cycling, which isn't trap isn't captured in that AFUE number. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the unfortunate part that all the on-off cycling 
that would happen in a real life, you know, like in, a, in a real home, is not captured in the AFUE. And that's why all the manufacturers will have, well, it'll work up to or as high as that, but it'll never guarantee that you're always operating at that. But in, te- in independent lab testing, we've actually outperformed, uh, um, you know, many Energy Star rated furnaces by, you know, 9 or 10%. Uh, and that's that same testing has been done by Intercan, uh, done by Enbridge in Ontario, and then done by a utility in the in the U.S. as well. So there's some documented evidence of of that outperformance. So um, back to your point about the the initial cost might be might be double, but the efficiency is going to recover that. So your payback will likely be five to seven years. On that, just by reducing your uh, your efficiency or your you know your utility bills, um, but then as you said, the comfort the comfort is something that um, you know I for example you know I had the I had the room over the garage when I was a kid, and it was the coldest <laughs> it was the coldest room in the house. I froze yeah. in winter uh, because I didn't have the airflow to the uh, to that room. Mm-hmm. Uh, now on the west coast of North America, this past summer we had the hottest. Like Vancouver had the hottest temperatures. So did Seattle. So did Portland. Um, you know, and those homes, those homes are now are going like they're a million dollars now. Uh, so if a homeowner wants comfort, well, they can have that single zone, you know, the single zone, single stage, you know, system in there, but they're not going to get the comfort, unfortunately, that that million home, million dollar home should really have, in, in our opinion. And we don't think that the little bit of increase on the equipment side is really uh, going to uh, or, or is going to inhibit the, the sale of that because you're going to be able to use every square foot of that house comfortably, whether it's the basement, whether it's the room over the garage, whether it's the top floor, you know, which would in the summer is going to be steaming hot and the basement's likely going to be too cold because... You know, all of the the density of the air and all of the cooling is trying to to stay in the basement. We got to push it upstairs. Um, mm-hmm. With the the iFlow and the the multi zone and the full modulation and the you know the, the the air movement, the continual air movement that we we get through that, we're trying to make those spaces comfortable so that when you pay a million dollars for a house in Vancouver or Toronto uh, or any of the major cities in North America that you're getting a system that's going to work, that you are comfortable in your house because you're spending so much time there, right? You're, you're at work, you know, eight hours a day or nine hours a day, but, you know, morning, night, weekends, you're, you're at home and it should be comfortable. And that's why we're mm-hmm. trying to create a better system. Uh, you know, we're putting, you know, we're putting rockets, you know, people on rockets and sending them up into space now. We have cars that drive themselves. Uh, we should have HVAC systems that can get over, stratification and uh, uh, and be able to modulate a little better to deliver the comfort that, that homeowners expect, I would think. And that's what we're trying to yeah. do at iFlow. That's all we're trying to do. Awesome. Getting okay. back to, well, getting back you to your point on the cost, though, just for a moment. Like if, if the sure. homeowner is already looking at tankless because of, you know, there could be rebates that are available for tankless water heaters or it could be just the efficiency that they're wanting or they could be wanting to reduce their, their GHG, foot, GHG footprint. Um, if they're already going with the tankless, then you're looking at comparing the iFlow to a furnace. And then the actual difference isn't that much at all, right? We're, we're actually very, very close and competitive with, uh, with the furnaces, uh, especially if you look at the modulating condensing furnaces, then we uh, will likely be uh, 
be under those in terms of price. So there may not be a, a premium to pay if you're already looking at installing a tankless water heater. Okay, so I have one last question, Absolutely. and then then I'm then I'm done asking questions. Yeah. Um, so if someone's interested in an in, in an iFlow, but they don't really, it's not that they don't understand; they just never done it before. They they've just never installed uh, a hydronic mm -hmm. furnace sure. with a wall mount boiler. Do right. you guys have something set up that you can assist in, like? Um, sizing the boiler, um, just just helping in in general to design maybe the project a little bit, just sure. to, to get someone off and running. Right. So we have full tech support at the office. Uh, just call our toll free number, and we'll be happy to assist anybody in the design. Uh, we have a number of videos online that can help uh, look at the different sizing, the different capacities we have, um, how to set the boiler, so the entire commissioning of the unit. Those are videos are all available on the website and uh, on YouTube as well, on our YouTube channel. Um, in terms of sizing, um, pretty simple. We have three units. Uh, we have on the cooling side, two ton, three ton, four ton. Uh, on the BTU side, 60,000, 80,000, and uh, 95,000 BTUs. So, but again, because they'll all modulate, they'll all go down. There is no minimum sizing of that. They just, they're able to do uh, anything between there. So. The sizing is pretty straightforward, pretty simple, and we can help with that. Um, if any of your, your audience uh, are looking to, to try it for the first time, definitely give us a call and be more than happy to, uh, to assist. Perfect. Well, <clears throat> Steve, this has been eye-opening for me because it's, it's new. And every time I, I learn about something, I get, I get happy because <laughs> it's something <laughs> now I have knowledge of. So thank you very much. I'm sure everybody's learned from this conversation so thank you for your time tonight i really appreciate it well we appreciate it gary thanks for having us and uh, uh we really uh, enjoyed spending some time in the basement awesome i thanks, appreciate steve. that <laughs> great conversation with steve here learned a lot and i love having these conversations with people that are experts within their part of the industry and if you guys didn't learn something then you guys are true know-it-alls <laughs> <laughs> anyway guys thank you for for hanging out till the end here as always and we'll we'll catch you on the next one thank you to the master group but i'm out happy hvacking hope you enjoyed the show follow hvac know-it-all on instagram facebook youtube tiktok twitter linkedin and anywhere else gary feels like popping up this has been a two smokes and a coffee production